Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Jacob Gaffney. I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Housing Wire. This is the third part in our RegTech podcast series sponsored by Compliance Ease. I want to take a moment to thank our sponsors for allowing us to put together such a wonderful format, such a great way to discuss the importance of reg tech in the mortgage industry. I'm very, very excited this morning. We have Chuck Cross today. He's a senior vice president of the Conference of State Bank Supervisors. He brings with him an enormous amount of just interesting outlook and a great take on the future of reg tech. I'm over the moon that he's joined us today. Chuck, thank you so much for uh, dialing in. How are you doing? Great, Jacob. Thanks for having me on. So let's talk a little bit about uh, that intro and why I was so uh, flowery towards you. I mean, you've had <laughs> such an interesting career in, in, the, in the regulatory space. And uh, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about it before we jump into some questions? Sure. So I began my career with the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, or the FDIC, as a bank examiner uh, and uh, switched over to being a bank examiner for the state of Washington um, at a certain point in time. But probably more interesting for your listeners is that after a few years of doing that, <clears throat> I decided to run a mortgage company and ran a small mortgage company with uh, three locations and 25 loan originators uh, for about three years. <clears throat> uh, then I returned back to regulation uh, with the Washington State Department of Financial Institutions, I took over there as their enforcement chief, uh, primarily in the area of mortgage supervision, and did that for about 12 years before promoting up to being uh, head of the division. I was division director for the part of the agency that oversees uh, mortgage, but also all other non-bank uh, entities. In 2007, uh, CSBS asked me to come out to Washington, D.C. and work on non-depository issues uh, with them. So I, I made the move to CSBS. And then in 2010, Dodd-Frank passed, and the Treasury Department asked CSBS if I could be loaned, or as they call it, detailed, to the Treasury Department to stand up uh, what would become the CFPB. Uh, wow. So I did that until 2011 uh, when I returned back to CSBS and, and my current job. Excellent, excellent. So you have a, a, a unique insight into the CFPB, and let's just uh, focus there for a second because Dodd-Frank implement, implemented the CFPB, created it, and it took, a, you know, it took a, some time, and there's been some leadership changes, and I think it's safe to say that the, that the current acting director is um, – is is you know taking a different approach to regulation than the previous director who has since re-entered politics and we've interviewed you know several of these people back and forth but we you know the the latest thing was Kathy Kreninger was just nominated as the new director of the CFPB or the BCFP uh, however you want to put it but uh, taking a look at where those things are especially considering your your experience with this regulatory body. It's just so, it's, it's so impactful in our industry. How do you think uh, that, you know, Kathy as the new director would impact future mortgage regulations and how, how has RegTech become even more critical as we move forward with this kind of new direction of this regulatory authority? 
Well, as you can imagine, uh, in our organization, we, we sit around and talk about this stuff quite a bit. And, and uh, interestingly, the, the position I came back to at uh, CSBS is basically the, the, the interface between the state system and the CFPB. So I spend a lot of my time with, with the folks over at the CFPB. Uh, that being said, when it comes to these sort of high-level politics, you know, what is the president doing and, and so forth, uh, and what is Congress doing, uh, to a large degree, we're watching it like the rest of you are uh, from the outside. Uh, I believe that uh, Acting Director Mulvaney is actually going to be around uh, for for a bit more. Uh, okay. It's hard to tell how long, but I but I think that that uh, the results of the uh, uh, the nomination of Kraninger that uh, that we'll probably see him around uh, maybe for several more months. Of course, we have a Senate hearing coming up that will uh, probably start to shed some light on that. For us, uh, but I think regardless of, of who the director is, uh, that the policies and, and signals that we've seen uh, out of the CFPB for roughly the last six months are, are likely going to continue forward much the same. I think the world kind of knows that um, Mulvaney and Kraninger are, are mm-hmm. close; they work together at OMB, and so I think that uh, not only. Uh, did uh, the president choose somebody of maybe a, a similar policy position, but but that closeness and relationship um, uh, probably will uh, continue forward even once we have a, a new director at the CFPB. Uh, you asked about regulations. Uh, yes. So on the subject of regu- regulations, I, I think that um, uh, Director Mulvaney, Acting Director Mulvaney, has made it very clear that um, that he is focusing strictly on what the law requires. So. Mm-hmm. I don't expect to see any new rules coming out of out of the agency. Um, I do want to point out that uh, we just saw Senate Bill 2155 uh, pass here recently and, and get signed into law. And it had a very small section in it called uh, Sense of Congress. And what the section was doing was asking the CFPB uh, to provide clearer guidance related to TRID. So it's possible we could see something coming out of the agency in response to Congress on that. But I don't expect to see uh, any new regulations. Uh, that doesn't mean there can't be uh, changes to uh, to things they've done in the past. But new, uh, I, I have trouble imagining that happening uh, in the current <laughs> well, environment. Yeah, well, Dodd-Frank did usher in an era of uh, – Significantly, and I'm just speaking, you know, from my own experience, it, it did kind of usher in an era of uh, quite a bit of that national level enforcement in an effort to try to uh, address some of the issues that we've had. So I do think that the Bureau has has its hands full, you know, and, um, and I agree with you, you know, Mulvaney named acting director, we did see a significant decrease and the sort of regulatory exams and enforcements, we have seen them uh, kind of reverse some rulings that they've, that they've done before. Um, and nothing to a great surprise uh, to Housing Wire readers, of course, but uh, that's, you know, that's all national news. So Housing Wire, you know, we, we tend to cover things very nationally. We cover everything on a very kind of broad basis. You know, we're, we're a tiny independent mortgage finance media company. But one of the great things about these conversations is that you're actually at the state level. So that's what I want to ask you a bit more is that what are you seeing from a regulatory perspective on a state level? So we get asked this um, uh, quite a bit. Um, uh, what is, what's happening on the state level, uh, especially in light of what, what gets portrayed, I guess, as a, as a pullback 
uh, of the CFPB under Acting Director Mulvaney. And, and if I could, I just want to uh, maybe uh, deal with this uh, a little bit more factually than, than we sometimes uh, hear it uh, when these issues are talked about. Um, first, I, I think we should remember that when Rich Cordray became director, there was there was more than a year, I believe, before any enforcement actions were actually filed. So, oh yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah, yeah. So it's, it's, it's you know we're you know just uh, just past six months with Mulvaney. So uh, based on history, we shouldn't necessarily expect enforcement actions. But also, you know, when when you have a new agency head come in, especially in, in a time of of a you know real philosophical change, uh, the new agency head uh, you know has to be thinking you know reassessing the direction that, that the agency was going and try to determine is, is that the direction they want to lead the agency in. So there's always going to be kind of a pause in, in direction. Um, but second, um, there have been enforcement actions during Mulvaney's reign. Um, there have been three, and, and two of these are what I would characterize as, as very large actions. Um, and then finally, um, I think that, that all of us should always be willing to assess uh, whether the environment has been altered enough through, say, laws, rules, exams, enforcement, or even market changes, so that maybe the need for enforcement uh, isn't as great as it was uh, at an earlier point in time. So I think we have to be willing to to embrace that and ask ourselves, you know, uh, you know, if there is less enforcement, why is there less enforcement? And it's not always just one reason why there would be less enforcement. Uh, on the matter of state exams. Um, uh, you know, my team uh, is a supervision interface between the state system of the CFPB. And so in other words, we're sort of the pipeline uh, through which exam activity is communicated. And we do quite a bit of exam work with the CFPB. Um, when I look at that exam activity for the last few years, I, would, I wouldn't say that there's been much of a fall off yet. Okay. Um, and especially with coordinated exams where the states are working directly with the CFPB, uh, those numbers have been pretty consistent for the last four years. Uh, but let's not forget, there is a hiring freeze at place uh, at the CFPB. And, and I can tell you from having been a regulator for a long time that that will result in a sort of a natural attrition of the examiner ranks as, as examiners leave, but you're not replacing them. So <clears throat> the CFPB, I believe, is going to have some some resource decisions to make uh, maybe next year. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and that could come in the form of maybe fewer exams or more targeted exams or, or, or focused exams or, or maybe greater exam efficiencies. You asked earlier about reg tech, and maybe we'll start to see uh, uh, that result in some maybe faster movements into reg tech as you use technology to replace you know, a fall off an actual number of people. Uh, on your question on, on uh, sort of state level of supervision, uh, a lot of people don't know this, but at a very rough guess, we estimate that the states conduct around 30,000 examinations per year, and, and that's already around 150 times uh, more exams than the CFPB conducts each year. Really? Uh, yeah. Does it, we, we yeah, that's a, that's a lot, lot of exams. Yeah. And so, you know, yes, there's the, the hiring freeze in, in place, but that doesn't correlate to more state examiners just because there's a CFPB hiring freeze in place. And, and the state examiners have been running at full capacity uh, forever now. Uh, the states didn't back off at all when the CFPB came into existence. 
Um, so, you know, even if the CFPB were to pull back supervision a bit, I don't think we should see a reaction by the state system to to fill uh, a perceived gap. Well, for us, yeah, yeah that's that's that, that's so interesting because uh, you you know when when you look at the uh, leadership changes at the CFPB, I do think that there is this notion that uh, we can kind of relax our compliance a bit, but. What you're what you're describing at the state level is that the states are actually, you know, they're they're active in enforcement. If anything, you know, if you you, you mentioned the hiring freeze, you know, that stuff's typically not the result of a of an overarching philosophical notion that we're going to regulate right. less and oh, we're going to hire more people because we're going to regulate more. Typically, let's face it, personnel stuff has to do with budgeting, and the CFPB has its own budget to manage. Uh, they you know, they have to pay wages, they have to, uh, you know, it, it, it could be something very simple. So it's easy to get lulled into this ideal that, um, you know, oh, well, the federal regulator is not going to be as active in regulating. So the states aren't going to be as active either. But for what you're describing, it sounds like uh, there are, you know, a lot of regulatory activity happening at the statewide level. Can you tell us uh, which states are really leading the charge in terms of that regulatory, not necessarily enforcement, but just in terms of that regulatory authority? Um, sure, I, I'll take a stab at this. But, you know, active is, is you know, uh, is such a subjective word that, you know, uh, when we're, uh, when we look at the state system, we say, you know, all the states are extremely active. And, and so I think maybe a, a good measurement for this is where is the need uh, the greatest? So, um, I look at California, uh, which is the most active real estate market, and, and naturally, you know, we should expect California to be very active in, in supervising that market. And as you look at the other very large states like New York, Florida, and Texas, I, I think I think uh, that's pretty much true for them as well. Wherever the activity is the greatest, um, the state legislatures have authorized the agencies to add on more examiners so they can deal with that activity. Um, Interestingly, we have several states with sparse population and relatively little mortgage market. Uh, and some of those states, there may only be four or five mortgages, mortgage examiners. But again, uh, the question is, um, you know, about activity. And so if there's less activity, is the need as great for more, uh, for more examiners? So I think when we ask about, uh, you know, uh, who are the active states, it's all relative um, to the need. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think, you know, if, if, we, if we take your question and we sort of nuance it a little bit, there could be some surprising answers in there um, for your audience. Um, uh, we look a lot at, you know, what is uh, active policy leadership, for example. Uh, and in the state system, it isn't always so obvious uh, uh, to those on the outside of, of how it actually works. So take a state like Montana. Uh, the entire state population is about the size of Austin, Texas, and mm -hmm. it has a density of about seven people per square mile. Um, yet the commissioner uh, in Montana serves on two very important supervisory committees, and uh, her non-bank deputy is the current chair of the multi-state mortgage committee, which is the committee that oversees all state uh, uh, multi-state examinations of the mortgage industry. So. You know, a state with one or two houses per square mile is helping to set uh, the uh, the agenda for the entire country. Mm -hmm. um, so in our world, it's just it's 
constantly uh, changing. Uh, last year it was Massachusetts in leadership. Okay. Uh, and the next year uh, it's supposed to be Illinois that goes into leadership. So uh, we're drawing from all of these different skill sets all across uh, the country. And, and it can sort of, um, the activity level can come from anywhere or, or everywhere. And are you seeing these state regulators using reg tech to, to, to help with kind of the shifting sands that you're describing? More and more, yes. And, and, and I'm so excited about, uh, about this question and this topic. Uh, I think this is one of the most exciting things that, that state regulators are doing now and are going to be doing uh, in the future. And I always want to remind people that um, when we talk about reg tech, uh, you know, like it's something new, it's, it's not really uh, uh, new. I mean, it's, it's, mm -hmm. we talk about it as a thing now, but it's been around for a long time. Um, RegTech, or I don't know if you defined this in earlier podcasts, uh, regulatory technology, uh, I think uh, is best defined as using information technology to enhance regulatory processes. Um, and so when we look at the industry, I think um, that's going to mostly come in the form of technology used to help financial institutions comply with regulations, uh, whether that's through more efficient reporting to regulators uh, or to others or more effective uh, compliance reviews. For regulators, it's uh, RegTech is all about helping us supervise better, uh, and this occurs for us over a spectrum of applications. So on the one end are, are very focused things like uh, the payday lending databases that some states have to monitor payday lending or uh, the employment of compliance tools directly in the examination process. And then on the other end of the spectrum are uh, full reg tech programs like the nationwide multi-state licensing system uh, that is used by a large number of people from many different disciplines and, and angles of application. Um, a, a particularly exciting development uh, for us at CSBS is the creation of the state examination system, uh, what we call the SES. And when this is launched, uh, which will happen uh, in the next roughly year to a year and a half, um, SES will be a national level system employing technology to manage examinations and enforcement actions. And it, it will integrate examination processes for all types of exams and all types of industries. It will link regulators to regulators and regulators to, to companies. And I think the best way to think about this, uh, this very exciting change is what NMLS did for licensing, the SES is going to do for supervision. Interesting. And, you know, that sounds like uh, you, you mentioned reg tech to enhance the process and, and how it was previously defined. We, we, we defined it as ways in which efficiencies are created in the mortgage lending operation in terms of the way reg tech is leveraged in our industry. But I will say that one thing that the CFPB has walked back from is the sort of consumer complaint database, and that's relying on people to write in when they've sort of faced an issue. And we're seeing that kind of fall more and more by the wayside, you know, the uh, suspicious activity reports and, you know, FINRA and all those things. We, we see the self-reporting uh, from, from the embittered kind of consumer falling uh, by the wayside, as we see reg tech increase its role more and more. And I think it's a much better way to identify possible violations. Um, and it sounds like state regulators are pretty far ahead when you mentioned this SES thing. Um, 
do do you think you do you think that you guys are that far ahead of the game, or where where do you think you are in terms of uh, your timeline for getting this national level system in place? So uh, yeah, we certainly have been at it for for quite a while now in the mortgage space. Um, you know, this, for us, this all dates back to uh, 2007 when um, John Ryan, who's now the president of CSBS, uh, challenged me to. So to look around and find a technology solution that would allow uh, state mortgage examiners to be more effective, uh, especially out in the field. Um, and at that time, we were beginning to see uh, what I would call a devastating fallout from subprime products. Mm-hmm. Uh, these products have been you know, sold to consumers in, in very inappropriate ways. And, and uh, the worst of these, you may remember, was the pay option arm. Uh, which enticed consumers with this unrealistically low payment, and then it suddenly, you know, doubled or tripled later, and you know, right. was, was causing a lot of default. Um, but the problem we had in those days is, um, uh, although we had a suspicion that those pay option arms had inaccurate APRs, uh, which let's remember these were mostly refinance transactions, and if you have an inaccurate APR and a refinance transaction, the consumer can rescind that loan, or the regulator can tell the lender that they have to uh, offer the borrowers the right to rescind that loan because of the inaccurate APR. But you're talking about um, uh, hundreds or thousands of state regulators, examiners in the field with calculators and pencils trying to do these calculations. So it was very difficult for, for, um, for, uh, for the state examiners to have much of a regulatory impact using antiquated tools like this. Um, so, uh, in 2007, we began looking for you know, what, how could technology help us with this? And by 2008, we had um, uh, had uh, 14 states go through this vetting process to determine uh, what piece of software might work best for us. And, uh, and in 2008, it was it was launched. Uh, the technology we use today was launched as a tool for state examiners looking at at mortgage companies. And uh, at this time, we have you know more than half the states that we would call active users. And this year, 2018, is a big push to uh, to bring all of the rest of the states up to speed as well. So that's 2008. We're, 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 we're talking 10 years to implement a technology platform. Do you, do you think that that was a long time coming or, or were you happy with that progress? Uh, no, not happy with the progress. So you're right. That was a long time in coming. Um, unfortunately, I think most of the industry uh, has resisted this digital transformation uh, and supervision. Yeah. And, and, yeah, and the, I think you mentioned this earlier. I mean, the arguments we hear are that mapping the data points from their systems is, is way too difficult. Um, mm-hmm. Ironically, um, the mortgage industry has actually embraced technology, it seems like, in every way except for in supervision. Uh, you know, in fact, most of the large mortgage companies, uh, which are the ones we examine with the software, they already employ some form of compliance technology, and, and often it's the very same technology that the examiner is using, which, by the way, is the same technology that the CFPB is using. Um, so I think where the states are actually farther ahead than others is in how we visualize uh, the use of this technology. Uh, The commissioners, who are the ones who run the agencies, uh, are currently charting the technology path uh, for supervision that that encompasses uh, a new nationwide multi-state licensing system, 
the launch of the SES that we talked about, mm -hmm. but then this idea of digital transformation of on-the-ground uh, supervision. And this is where things start to get really exciting. They're envisioning uh, ways in which technology can help us move to a regulated environment of what I call trust but verify, where the institutions, the mortgage companies, for example, are responsible for much of their own assessment uh, by employing technology that the state regulators have approved for, the, for them to use. Um, and so I'm hoping we can get to that level in, say, the next five years or so. And, and when we do, I think much of the regulatory burden and cost that, that the industry complains about today uh, will be kind of a thing of the past. Um, but I do have a message for the in industry, and that is if you don't help us begin to change the way we do business now, we might never get there. Uh, and so that's kind of what was happening over the last 10 years. There's a lot of, a lot of stalling and, and foot dragging, if you will, uh, not, not embracing the technology that the state regulators are trying to bring to the industry. And one of the things that um, in researching before this interview is that I've looked at the, something that you guys have done to try to counter that stalling and that foot dragging and that you've actually been, uh, you know, moving forward with this kind of evolution of the way in which examinations take place and how you require lenders, you know, to submit data using um, your lending examination format or the LEF. So you, you have the LEF and, you know, the digital presentation of information. How do you think that maybe that may help counteract that stalling, that foot dragging that you describe? Is it possible? Possible that the LEF and the you know this digital presentation of information will that accelerate the adoption of reg tech in the mortgage finance space? I certainly hope so. I mean, I, I really, really do because look, the good news for all of us is that, that reg tech uh, can fix things that that we should all of us should be worrying about. We should be all worrying equally about um, uh, so many things, and instead we we uh, we sort of get into these defensive postures and so forth and, and wonder about. Well, RegTech reveals something it shouldn't shouldn't reveal, or we don't mm -hmm. want revealed. And and I think uh, using uh, you know tools like the LEF, uh, it, it can be a benefit to both sides. It's not just a regulator benefit. I mean, look traditional compliance exams, where you know where you have people who are who are doing your internal compliance exams. Those hit the bottom line really hard, and takes a lot of man hours, and it's a lot of expense. But, but the kind of technology you're talking about, um, so the simple employment of the LEF can let company management see these trouble spots in the portfolio before, before they even occur. Um, so I think you know, every mortgage company, and especially their loan originator system vendors, should be embracing uh, the LEF and, and, and helping the regulators help them with this, tran uh, with this transition. So you know, why not allow RegTech to keep an eye on your loan originators? I mean, isn't it far better to stop a violation before it happens than to suffer the cost and, and the reputation risk of having to fix it later? And when we look at technology, you know, the beauty of technology is uh, it doesn't suffer from lapses in judgment or uh, it doesn't worry about the trade-off between profit and expense. It just does the job that, that you set it out to do. Mm -hmm. um, so I think uh, the sooner we get to the commissioner's ideas of, of industry self-assessment and regulatory trust, the, the better off everyone's going to be. And I'm, I'm talking lenders, 
regulators and consumers. Everyone is going to be better off from this. Um, but one thing we need to do is we need to start thinking about this as a partnership and supervision rather than something state regulators are doing to the industry. I, most regulators that I know would be absolutely thrilled to find out that a mortgage company had self-identified potential consumer harms and fixed them before the examiners ever even showed up. That would be, mm -hmm. that would be a perfect world. And, uh, you know, that world is just, it's literally within our grasp, but we just, we have to do it together and we got to get going on this because, um, uh, yeah, we can't wait another 10 years to pull this off. And would you say that that's the issue that state regulators are most concerned about? Uh, you, you, you know, you describe, uh, lenders and, and regulating them, you know, at length and sort of the, the issues. And I agree with you, you know, uh, a stitch in time saves nine if you can identify, uh, regardless of the leadership, regardless of everything we discussed about who's the, the changing guard at the CFPB, I agree with you that if you are proactive is and, and you're seen as being, being ahead of the game in terms of making sure that you're doing your best mortgage lending, then you, know, you, you won't have to worry about the regulators. You won't have to worry about people coming in and auditing. And that self-identification, I do think, is key. So uh, would you say that that is the main issue that now, now that we've identified the issues that you feel that mortgage lenders can address in order to make their operations better? What about the state regulatory issues? What are you most concerned about? And how could Reg Tech help identify and potentially solve those problems a bit more easily? Sure. Well, um, the issues that, uh, that we're worried about are pretty much the same issues we've always been worried about. Uh, you know, they, they, they may cycle or fade in and fade out, and, and I've been doing this for a really long time. But what I can tell you is what is old always somehow becomes new again. Um, <laughs> so, for example, you know, putting your marketing ahead of your compliance or the inability or, or unwillingness to keep an eye on your loan originators or – you know, lapses in judgment that we saw leading into the crisis um, or some sort of weakness in the face of, of potential profit. Those are the sort of the big picture things that, um, that we have grappled with since the beginning of time and we will continue to grapple with. And, and you know, RegTech um, can really lend a lot of assistance in it, can make it, it can pull uh, sort of the labor intensity of some of those things away and, and transfer it into um, something that happens more automated and, and and you were so clear in what you said about you know uh sort of having your having your house in order makes so much sense i mean there, there's you know when i talk to mortgage companies management of mortgage companies and everyone's in agreement you know no one wants to have um uh, an out of compliance uh organization it's just uh, you know we get caught up uh, in in sales and marketing and so forth and uh, and don't spend as much time focusing on compliance. So why not let RegTech be that focus on compliance for us? And, and there is another thing that we spend a lot of time, I don't want to say worrying about in the state system, but a lot of time thinking about and focusing on, and that is this emergence of fintech, the exponential growth and, and fintech. And I would argue that RegTech is the other side of fintech. So mm -hmm. as we see this explosion in fintech and, and products begin to move so much faster uh, through the marketplace and, and between 
institutions and consumers, uh, the regulators and the companies need to be able to keep pace with that and keep pace uh, in terms of compliance, making sure you're complying. And so I think you have to match technology with technology. So, so I think RegTech is there at this time uh, so that we have a counterbalance to this fast-moving fintech that we're all experiencing. I agree. Uh, the focus on the sales culture has shown to be the undoing of some larger operations in our space, and that's you know on the on the uh, in 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 not just in the mortgage space, but in the financial. Uh, services space as well. And as we're seeing fintech come in and we're seeing more frictionless financial services being adopted, that will go into mortgage technology. So this serves as a great reminder uh, that reg tech needs to be uh, part of that conversation as well. And uh, I just think that it's just so interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm so pleased you came on, uh, Chuck, to talk to us about this and to give us a good reminder of why it's critical to make reg tech uh, a part of the process because I am worried that, you know, as we chase the ever growing uh, field of online lending and what that brings and what the digital uh, revolution brings to our space that we somehow lose what's very important. And that is the responsibility of providing capital to, uh, to the American people. So I, 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 I just, I, I, I'm just, so pleased that you came on to give us a good outlook about, you know, what could happen. It was a very, very much a carrot and stick conversation and I'm grateful for it. So uh, ladies and gentlemen, that was Chuck Cross, Senior Vice President of the Conference of State Bank Supervisors joining me on our Rake Tech podcast. Chuck, thank you so much for being a guest today. Thank you, Jacob. 